Studio Ervo and Bonfire Press present Essence House by Eric J. Cockrell and Chuck Pino. Read by Michael Goodrick. Chapter 14. Chasing Breadcrumbs. The doors, Riders on the Storm, played loudly on the old phonograph in Roland Edmonds' study. A young woman, approaching her twenties, with her hair tied up in a floral patterned bandana, sat in Roland's chair with her feet up on the desk. The music played loudly as she leaned back in the plush leather chair, her fingers entwined in her dirty blonde hair. She could hear the door swing open, but her eyes remained closed, and her smug smile didn't fade away. Florence Edmund, turn down that noise immediately, and get your feet off of the desk right this instant, Roland said, angered by the uncharacteristic insolence he was currently dealing with. I will not tell you twice. Florence leaned back and replaced the record needle back in its cradle. So, how does punishment work exactly? She started, choosing her words wisely. I mean, you're dead, so how exactly do you expect to hold anything over my head at this point? Roland, flustered, wrinkled his brow, pulled back the chair across from his daughter and his desk, and took a seat. He regarded her for a long moment, easing himself into a forced sense of calm. Well, you came to me, so I am not dead. Yet. Florence had readied herself for a fight. Her father easing up wasn't part of the plan. How could she have knowledge of the future, knowledge her father didn't have, and still be left behind. Her frustration exploded as she kicked her feet off of the desk and leaned into her father. I'm tired of this house, tired of living here, in your shadow, in the shadow of a future you won't explain to anyone else, without knowing what I'm supposed to do. I won't sit around and wait for Andrew and Barnabas to hand me an envelope. I want to live my life, and I want that now. Roland breathed out a long sigh regarded her for a moment, and then made his way over to the small bar next to the window that looked out onto the backyard and the tarmac of the runway he had found himself using less and less as he grew older. He picked up a rock glass and stopped. How old are you now, Florence? he asked, as though he had not just finished being yelled at by his own daughter. Eighteen? she remarked suspiciously. Close enough, he replied, picking up a second rock glass. He dropped a single ice cube into each glass with a silver pair of tongs, and then reached for a decanter filled with scotch. He expertly poured two fingers of the smooth, brown liquid into both glasses and handed one to his underage daughter. She took the glass cautiously, certain there was a lesson somewhere in here that she hadn't grasped, but was trying to. She hated being caught unaware, and it happened all too often especially where her father was concerned. Roland took a sip and motioned for her to do the same. When she had, wrenching her face at the burn that went along with a taste she had not been ready for, Roland took a seat. Scotch, my dear, is both a treat and a tool, Roland started, staring down at the liquid as he slowly melted the cube caught within its alcoholic confines. As a tool, I find it helps to calm and center me, when I abuse it, I am no longer calm nor centered. He took another sip and closed his eyes, enjoying the sensation that melted through him. Florence, calmed by his demeanor but 
still annoyed and wanting answers, pressed forward. What does that have to do with what I said? She asked, her voice now considerably calmer than it had been previously. Blue eyes opened and Roland regarded his daughter once more. The essence is also a tool and a treat. If it becomes overused, one can find themselves using it constantly to make life perfect, only to find that the life they wanted to live was spent making things happen, rather than actually living, enjoying, savoring. He took another sip and smiled to himself. And? Florence pushed, ignoring her drink entirely. The elder Edmund took her hand in his and rubbed the back of it with his thumb. He stared at that hand for several seconds, seconds which almost felt like minutes as Flo looked between their hands and Roland's eyes. And there are no envelopes with your name on it, my dear. He paused a moment to choose the next words wisely, but his heated daughter was not going to give him such a luxury. No envelopes for me? No messages? Are you serious? So everyone else mattered enough for words and guests beyond the grave, but apparently the girl was, what, too slow? Unimportant? Come on, Dad, we're having a drink here. She lifted her rock glass for the first time since taking that first horrid sip and took another. This one wasn't much better, but she hid her disgust well, knowing what was coming. Let's pretend to be adults. Roland nodded and raised his glass to her. He took another swallow and replaced it on his desk and slid an obsidian coaster with a face of a long-forgotten Incan deity underneath it. He leaned forward so she could see his eyes meeting with hers. Concern and melancholy weighed his eyes down, but he finally found his voice and responded, Quite the opposite, my dear. The information I had of the future, the things I know, they were of things that had shaped my past, things that had to happen for all of this to even be here. Those things required certain measures, certain things to happen. You, however, what you do, as helpful and important as it is, you do all on your own. You require no manipulation, no notes. Your heart will point you directly where you need to go and to what you want to do. The young woman sniffed and reached back for her father's hand, sorry she had let it go in contempt. I was accepted to UC Berkeley. I want to go. I want to live my own life and see where that takes me. I... I don't want to live for the notes. He stood up, ignoring his scotch. Roland smiled and caressed her cheek with the back of his hand. That's exactly what I want for you, my sweet. You have already made me prouder than I could ever say. Go with my blessing and live a wondrous life. Flo stood up got out from behind the desk, and embraced her father with all the force one would use when their parent had been dead for several years and was now suddenly alive and in front of them. I'm sorry for this, father. I hope you understand. He kissed her on the top of her head and leaned his cheek into her hair, closing his eyes and enjoying the embrace. You don't need to apologize again, my dear. Florence leaned back and quirked an eyebrow, questioningly. Again? Roland chuckled. A year ago, you came to me, much older than you are now, and apologized for this very meeting. Imagine my temporary confusion at the sight of my daughter 
looking closer to my age than the prepubescent child that was running around the grounds playing with her brothers. Flo smiled, but her attention was drawn to the future. You met me? From the future? What was I like? What kind of job did I have? Did I have a husband? Kids? Roland grinned and removed himself from the embrace. You were happy. That's all that matters, my dear. Remember, the future doesn't matter as much as right now. He stepped over to his desk, grabbed a sheet of paper, and began scrawling on it with his pen. When he was done, he folded the paper up and slid it into an envelope. On the envelope, he wrote, Florence Edmund. He passed it to her and smiled. The only note you'll ever get from me, Florence. May it serve you well. Tristan, Jessica, Florence, and Celeste sat around a table at a delightful Indian restaurant. The three others had been eating while listening to Flo's story about her father. Tristan sat twirling his curried vermicelli noodles, having not taken a bite in several minutes. Jessica ate politely while paying as much attention as she could to the eldest Edmund. Celeste ate her tikka masala as though all of this was normal conversation for her, which, apparently, it was. When Flo stopped her story and took a bite, Tristan leapt into the conversation. What did the notes say? he asked, a little annoyed she hadn't just told them already. Aunt Flo smiled, dabbed the corners of her mouth with a red cloth napkin, and reached into her jacket pocket. She produced the same envelope as she had described, folded and looking yellowed and aged, and passed it to Tristan. Go ahead, read it yourself, she said smiling and then taking another bite of her dinner. Tristan opened it hastily at first, and then carefully when he almost tore the paper. He retrieved the note and read it out loud for Jessica, who was likely the only other person at the table who didn't already know what it said. To Florence Edmund, I bequeath my walking stick. I love you immensely, my child. You will always be the source of my greatest jealousy. Jealousy? Jessica asked. Flo nodded. He never explained it, but I believed it to be the fact he lived a life that was laid out in front of him, knowing even when he would die. I wasn't burdened with that. That's the greatest gift he could ever give me, and that includes the walking stick. The male Edmund swallowed some water and cleared his throat. The stick? You had it all these years? Let me guess. You just kept it locked away so no one could misuse it? Flo chuckled. No such luck, my dear. I'm as curious as the next person. I used the essence the way my father thought it was best used, to visit the past and learn from it. I tried to use it as responsibly as I could, though, unlike some people. She shot her daughter a sideways glance. Celeste laughed and pushed her empty plate aside. Hey, I was a lot younger then. Besides, I wouldn't be any good to everybody right now if I hadn't. Tristan leaned in with interest. Wait, you took the walking stick for a joyride? Really? His cousin nodded and pursed her lips. Yeah, let's just say this won't be my first adventure. Tristan tented his fingers like a villain in a Bond movie. Good, so we all admit that it's time to do something about this. Well, since I know you guys have been chatting about this while I healed up, Am I to assume you also have a plan? Jessica piped in. Barnabas and I spoke with your aunt. We all felt like the only place we might be able to get 
any sort of clue is from the Musée des Essences. The idea is to go there and check the place out while Greta was here in the States. At least, we can possibly find out anything that might be incriminating. Or perhaps some way we can get to her without having to deal with the creeps with guns she tends to hang out with. Great, why don't we get the walking stick back now and go make this happen, Tristan said excitedly. Flo shook her head. Not in the plan, kiddo. Tomorrow. You had a long walk today, and you've already exerted yourself enough for one day. Tristan, disappointed yet understanding, looked between Celeste and Jessica. You guys sure there's room in this group for a cripple? Stop that. You're not a cripple, Jessica replied. Celeste smoothly stepped in with her calm demeanor. Actually, I think having you around would help a lot. Two innocent girls and a guy with a cane? Not likely to be any kind of trouble. Tristan scoffed. Yeah, and then when there is trouble, what then? Jessica reached into her purse and pulled out the same pistol she had retrieved from Essence Corners so many weeks ago, making sure to hide it from the view of any of the other patrons in the restaurant. At the same time, Celeste reached into her billowing sleeve and pulled out a dagger that was strapped to her forearm. Tristan gasped. Holy crap! We're just going out for lunch. What were you two expecting? Celeste retorted. It's dinner with my mom. You never know what's going to happen when she's involved. She's a badass. The group laughed and continued chatting as they finished off their meal, and then eventually went their separate ways. The plan was for Celeste and Flo to retrieve the walking stick, while Jessica and Tristan stretched and worked out and readied him for the next day. They all met at Jessica's apartment early the next morning, save for Flo, who had taken a flight back to San Francisco that same morning. The three dressed like tourists. Celeste had changed some money into euros, just in case anything arose. They had already bought their tickets into the museum online. Tristan made a joke about them needing gift shop money, so she had taken the suggestion seriously, thinking something important might come up. Jessica had her phone out, pinpointed to a Google Earth spot a short walk away from the museum. The staff was laid out on the table with all three gripping it tightly. They all imagined the date that had been chosen, the day of the shooting at Essence Corners. With closed eyes and concentration, they could feel the power well up in them. And with a quick, audible gasp from Jessica, the three of them found themselves in the spot they had just moments ago been staring at on a screen. Wow, you can feel it work. That was, that was something, Jessica said, having a hard time finding the words to describe the sensations she had just felt. Tristan grinned and pointed at her with his cane. Newbies. Celeste laughed and waved for them to follow her towards the museum. Yeah, it's quite the experience. I was never able to try it in the house. Was it much different? she asked while walking down the paved road, headed up the hill some. I've used the house and the walking stick, and usually it's the same, but this time there was something different about it. I don't know how to explain it, though. Tristan didn't let the feeling bother him, but it was odd. Celeste nodded. That makes sense. I studied this some while I played with the walking stick. See, usually you're mostly traveling through time and not space so much. But this time, the trip was more space than time. They're different experiences. 
as they could now spot the museum and the bright white sign with the black letters declaring in several languages where they were. Tristan had to ask more about her experiences. How do you even know this? What did you do, study the walking stick? Celeste shrugged. As little as I could, yeah. Also, though, when I realized how much it excited me, I went to college and got a history degree with a minor in physics. I wanted to know how all this stuff worked, and my trip through time really got me excited to study. They handed their tickets to the attendant who welcomed them to the Musée d'Oissance and let them in. They were immediately greeted by a room entitled Time Travel Through Pop Culture. All of the normal movies and shows they were expecting to see were there, including a few that none of them had ever heard of before. Tristan clicked his tongue, chagrined. I don't see my hotel management degree being near as helpful. But then my dad, or whatever the hell that thing was, didn't exactly let me play with the essence like your mom did. Celeste was making her way to a display about two ladies who had claimed to have slipped through time on the grounds of the Versailles Palace back in 1901. As she skimmed over the story and pictures, she spoke to Tristan. I wasn't allowed to play with it. I just did. And I got into a lot of trouble for doing so, let me add. I also had to get this degree just so she would never let me be in the same room as the stick again. As the two moved on to the next display, Jessica tapped them both on the arm quickly. She was pointing over to a life-sized mock-up of the time machine from the 1960 Rod Taylor movie. There's a door behind that weird little throne thingy. It says employees only. Pretty sure that's where we want to go next. Tristan looked at the door and gave the other two a nod. Good call. It's relatively quiet in here, and I haven't seen any cameras so far, so this might be easier than we thought. Thank God we're not back home where there's a camera everywhere you look. The three walked up to the door, watching for anyone who might notice. Celeste tried the door, only to find that it was locked. Tristan turned around in a huff. Great, so the security is as bad as back home. As he spoke, he couldn't make out the soft clicking noises behind him, though he did hear the solid metal shunk as the lock popped open, and Celeste turned the knob and peeked in. Jessica was standing behind her, smirking and impressed. Tristan looked on in surprise. Whoa, where the hell did you learn how to pick locks? Celeste walked through the door and waved for them to follow. I went to a public high school, she said nonchalantly. The door opened up into a long hallway that ran along parallel to the museum. The three walked quietly, watching their steps as they peered through the windows on the various doors they found as they went. Most of the rooms were offices of sorts, though one had appeared to be a small lunchroom and another a conference room, both looking to only hold maybe a dozen people or so at the most. At the end of the hall, they found exactly what they were looking for. A door marked Greta Sorensen, owner-slash-manager. Tristan reached for the handle and turned it, pleased to find that it wasn't locked. The three stepped in to find themselves in a modestly decorated office, with a large desk, a nice computer setup with two monitors, several metal file cabinets, and a few cork boards littered with letters, pictures, and other oddities posted on them. Celeste nodded to the cabinets. 
they're almost definitely locked. I'll try to bust my way in. Are either of you two good with computers? Tristan sat down at the desk. I can give it a try, though without a password, I don't know how far I'll get. Jessica shrugged and moved over to the corkboards. I guess I make myself useful here then, she said, scanning over the various papers and such. Celeste had just opened up the first filing cabinet and begun flipping through the various folders and their titles when Jessica called the two of them over. Whoa, guys, I think I hit pay dirt. She was pointing at a wanted poster that looked old and weathered. It was written in German, but they could make out a few of the details, including the date, July 17, 1944, and the name of the subject. Jessica pointed directly at the man's uncomfortable look. That's Tim, she said, surprised. He was here, and these guys have been looking for him since 1944. That's incredible. She turned to look at Celeste and Tristan. Both of them were staring with mouths agape at the wanted poster next to Tim's. It was supposedly for a man named Alistair Simmons, who had been missing since the same date. That's... but he's so young, Tristan stammered, full sentences not yet coming to him. Jessica looked at the picture and then back at the two. Wait, you know this guy? Who is he? She asked, wondering what could possibly be more important than them finding where in time Tim was. Celeste choked out an answer, sounding the least confident she had since Jessica had met her. That's... Grandpa Roland. Theme music by Carol Cockrell.